Well, we welcome you. Thanks for uh, being here. And uh, again, we uh, are finishing our series today in the book of the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. Um, remember, the Song of Solomon means Solomon's best song. It's the song of all songs. And uh, we've been talking about it over the last several weeks. And we're going to be moving into the book of Nehemiah next. So you can start reading that and getting ready for it. Uh, Nehemiah is a, a great book. I think it has a lot of practical things in it uh, for our day and the time we live in. And so you can be reading through that and preparing over the next several weeks for the book of Nehemiah uh, as we go into our uh, uh, go towards summer. Um, the Song of Solomon, we've talked about this the last several weeks, but we talked about the fact that it, the title of Song of Solomon is My Love. It's my love. The idea that God is telling us, this is the love I have for you, um, and what is our response to love him back? And so we've been looking over this the last several weeks. Um, this book is very graphic. It describes the relationship between a man and a woman in a very graphic, loving, not lustful, but careful way. Um, God uses this book as a picture of who he is and his love and his jealousy and his passion for his people. And over the last several weeks, we've, we've looked at passages, um, one, one being in particular, the first week we looked at the fact that more delightful than, oh, that he would kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is more delightful than. And this is the woman speaking and talking about the fact that she longs to want to be with the one who she's not with. And for us who are believers, we should have a longing to want to be with Christ even though we're not with him yet. We looked through that. You can look back at the podcast. The following week, we looked at this idea of it says, young women of Jerusalem, I charge you by the gazelles and wild does of the field, do not stir up love or, or stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. And you see this phrase multiple times in the book of Solomon. And it's just the idea of not until the appropriate time. So this woman is longing to be with her lover. There's this desire to be together. But they recognize that there is an appropriate time for that. And there's an inappropriate time. And they have waited for the appropriate time. Just like we are waiting for the appropriate time for Christ to come back. We don't get to do what they did back in the Crusades, which was not biblical. It's not what God wanted when they put on crosses and went and fought for the city of Jerusalem. God never asked the church to do that. God actually said not to. But they did it anyway. And it's the same thing for us today. We can find ourselves fighting for things that we want now instead of waiting until the appropriate time. We looked at the fact that the man responds that in the midst of her longing, in the midst of what's going on, he reminds her of how beautiful she is. And God reminds us of how beautiful we are to him. That yes, we're sinful, yes, we're wretched, we're worth nothing, and yet he finds value in us because if we know his son, Jesus Christ, he sees us as his son. And then Mark spoke on the fact that there's friendship. This is my beloved this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. The idea that, that this is deeper than just a sexual relationship. It's deeper than just some physical intimacy. There is a real intimacy, a real friendship that's deeper, that goes deeper than anything. And then last week, we looked at the fact that the woman realizes and says, you know what, I realize I belong to my love and his desire is for me. And I don't need to be looking to belong to someone else. I just need to belong to him. I need to be focused on him. And this week, as we wrap up the series, as we get to the end of this book, which is kind of the, 
picture of someone's life as they're walking through life, the last part of this series is vital for us because we find ourselves exactly in the same place that this picture is that we read. And that's this, leaning on the one she loves. The church is described in scripture, we've talked about this throughout the last several weeks, as the bride of Christ, that he is the bridegroom, that we are betrothed to him, we are sealed to be with him. We'll see that in a minute as we look at Song of Solomon. And that we're waiting for him to come back and get us to take us where he's supposed to be. Because that's the way marriage works. And it's the way it worked back in the Old Testament. That there would be a place that the man would prepare and he would come back. He would look at the father. He would say, I've prepared the place. Now give me my bride. And they would go back and there would be a celebration and they would consummate the marriage. And that's the way it worked. And it's this idea of the church today, are we truly leaning on the one we're supposed to love? You, as a Christian, as a bride of Christ, are you truly leaning on the one you're supposed to love? Or do you constantly find other things to lean on? What what today, if you kind of summed up, what is the church today leaning on? There's a lot of things. We lean on our buildings We lean on our programs, right? We lean on living in a free country with no persecution. We lean on money. We lean on success and power and look at all we can do, right? We lean on all kinds of stuff. The question is, are we truly leaning on him? Because it's just a subtle thing for us to begin to lean on things that we shouldn't be leaning on. And God says he is a jealous God. And in this final chapter, we see this jealous love coming out for for this couple. There's a jealousy for their love. And God says that that we are not to forget the covenant of the Lord your God in Deuteronomy that he made with you. And make an idol for yourselves in the shape of anything he has forbidden for you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God, the Bible says, in Deuteronomy. He says it's easy for us to lean on idols, to find something else to lean on, because it just doesn't seem like my love is giving me what I deserve and what I think I should have. It's taking too long. This is too hard. So I'm going to lean on something a little easier. And that's exactly what God's told his people in Deuteronomy. Don't do that. I'm going to make a covenant with you. I'm going to make a marriage covenant with you. I am going to adopt you. You're going to be a part of my family. Now, do not make idols because that's what everybody always wants to do. And you're different. And I'm your God. And so don't put these things in your life that are going to make me jealous for you. Because I'm a jealous God. If I come home and find you with another lover, it's not going to go well for you or or him. It's not going to go well. Because I'm a jealous God. And I love you. That's why it's not going to go well. I know it's not good for you to be with someone else. That's not what's intended because I created you. I bought you. I paid the dowry price for you. And you are mine. And you agreed to that. And so I'm going to hold you to it. He goes on in Exodus. He says, be careful not to make a treaty with the inhabitants of the land you're going to enter. Otherwise, they will become a snare among you. Instead, you must tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, chop down their Asherah poles, and you are never to bow down to another God because Yahweh, being, a je- being jealous by nature, is a jealous God. 
Now for us, the word jealousy typically is not good, right? Jealousy is typically envy. The reason jealousy is typically envy for humans is because we're not God, (laughs) right? God's allowed to be jealous because he's God, (laughs) because he does everything perfectly and right, and we should respond, and if we don't, we should be in trouble. God doesn't have to check his heart for his jealousy. He doesn't. We do. God doesn't. And so the Bible tells us that God is a jealous God, and we look at him as like this guy who will just understand. Yeah, I know I had another guy in the bed tonight, but I know you understand. I was lonely. Oh, I, I know that I did this, and you told me not to, and, but I did it anyway, and I know you're okay with that because you love me. We don't expect him to be what he says he is, holy, righteous, jealous, and actually we don't see that that's good for us. Oh, I don't want to be in a relationship where someone's jealous for me. I don't want someone that passionate about me. That's like stalking. I don't want to stalk her. I just want somebody that's going to kind of be with me, be my friend, kind of hang out when I need them, when I don't want them, you know, that kind of thing. And if I want to bring somebody else in, that's fine. They'll understand. Because they can't provide everything for me. And that's the heart of it. They can't provide everything for me. And that's what we believe about God. And so as we dive into this chapter, we have to recognize that the man and the woman are jealous for one another. There's this passion that we've seen throughout the book And it comes down to this. Remember, in verse 4 of chapter 8, it says, Young women of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not stir up love or awaken love until the appropriate time. She understands that his desire is for her. And she so wants to be with him because she's so tired of what they've gone through. They've gotten married. They've consummated the marriage. But now he's gone. And, And the mess of it all, she's like, But then she goes back and reminds herself and reminds the daughters of Jerusalem, it's not our call to get what we want when we want. We take it to the one who loves us, who cares for us, who provides for us, and it's a relationship. I just don't go out and get what I want. I check in with him. That's what it means. It goes on to say, the young women of Jerusalem say, who is this coming up from the wilderness? Here it is. Leaning on the one she loves. If you remember earlier, we looked at last week, the daughters of the young women of Jerusalem were wanting her to come back to look at her beauty, to look at the Shulamite. Now, they're in a correct place, she's in a correct place, and they're looking, and who is this coming up? leaning on the one she loves now they're looking not at her anymore they're looking at the other person she's with who is this one she's coming up with they're consumed by that person by the king by not by her see before they were consumed by her right daughters of they were looking at her oh come back shulamite is what they said now they're looking and saying who is this coming up for the wilderness leaning on the one she loves. They're looking and wondering. See, what are you looking for? They're, they, they're looking and they're saying, who is this that she is with? Will you lean on Christ? Will you lean on Jesus and what that means? She responds and she says, I awakened you under the apricot tree. 
There your mother conceived you. There she conceived and gave you birth. Set me as a seal on your heart, as a seal on your arm. This woman is leaning on the one she loves and they've asked this question and she's responding and saying, I, I've, I went after the one I, I awakened him. I called out to him. You see, that's prayer. Prayer is us calling out to God. It's our seeking. Jesus said, if you seek, you will find. You'll find. You'll find whatever you're seeking. Doesn't mean you'll find him. You might find a thousand other things you're seeking because you really aren't seeking him. Because you don't really want him. Because you know if you truly have him, he's a jealous God and he's not going to let you have what you want. So you want to keep him at a distance. And that's exactly, she says, I went after you. I found you. I, I recognize that, that you're in control and that you've been given birth and you're important. It's not about me. And then she says, please set me as a seal on your heart and a seal on your arm. I want everyone to know. I want you to know internally and I want everybody to see like the barbed wire tattoo that everybody gets, right? I want everybody to see that we're together. My name right there, Shulamite, right there, right? How embarrassing it is when you put someone's name on there and then you're not married to them anymore because then you got to get some adaptation done, right? Or do you just leave it on there because you're jealous for it? Are you just a crazy stalker or are you serious about I'm going to keep my commitment even though this person didn't? See, that's our God. That's what she's saying. Look at what the scripture says. Paul, through the apostle Paul, God told us this. He said, now it is God who strengthens us with you in Christ and has anointed us. That means we've been anointed for the wedding, for, for, for the consummation. He has also sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a down payment in our hearts. I call on God as a witness on my life that it was to spare you that I did not come to Corinth. In fact, I made up my mind about this. I would not come to you on another painful visit. Paul says, I wrote you the first letter because I recognized that you were not leaning on Christ. You were leaning on what you wanted, and you were just slapping Jesus on everything you wanted. So when you wanted to sleep with who you wanted to, you slapped Jesus on it. When you wanted to do church the way you wanted to, you slapped Jesus on it. Anything you wanted to do, you just put God's name on it and said, he wants to bless me because he loves me, and so I can do whatever I want. That's what they were doing in Corinth. Read 1 Corinthians. It's a brutal book. It is an absolutely brutal book. Paul does not hold back. And just so you know, Corinth was one of the worst cities in the Roman Empire. If someone called you a Corinthian, it was an insult. Like, oh, you're a Corinthian. I, uh, wow, I would never live there. <laughs> right? That was Corinth. And so Paul, in his love, writes this letter, and he says... Man, I didn't want to write a letter. I wanted to get on a horse, get on a boat, and come and beat the tar out of you. Because God, I'm so jealous for the church that was planted, and I'm so jealous for God's love. I didn't just want to write a letter. I wanted to march into town and take some names. And he said, but I'm glad I didn't. I'm glad I wrote the letter first. And if you know what 2 Corinthians is, 2 Corinthians, Paul is now saying to them, hey, look, good job. 
Thank you for listening to me. Thank you for disciplining. Thank you for what needed to be done. I was just going to sit back and be patient. I sent the letter. Here's what God says. Here's what you need to do. And can you imagine Paul sending a letter? Remember, it's not like today. When you send a letter today and it's not there in three days, you're like, what happened to my letter? Back then, you sent a letter and if it was there in six months, it was like, when? (laughs) It took forever for letters to get where they were going. And good luck getting it circulated. These were probably house churches in Corinth. So the letter had to be circulated around and make sure everybody reads it. This would have taken time and Paul had to wait and wait and wait. And then he had to send a delegation to Corinth and then they had to come back and report back to him, which is why he writes 2 Corinthians to say, hey, they listen to you. The bride in Corinth listened to the groom. You sent a letter and said, hey, your groom says this, and the, and the bride said, oh, we didn't know we weren't doing what we were supposed to be doing. We're sorry. We ask forgiveness. We repent. And Paul's writing and saying, I'm glad I was patient because I could have came down hard on you and it would have been bad for us all. And I'm glad God prevented me from coming at you and just dumping on you. You see, that's our God. Our God is patient, but he doesn't hold back. He lets us know exactly what it is that he wants us to do. And he lets us know clearly what we're leaning on. If you read 1 Corinthians, Paul lays out everything they are leaning on. You're leaning on this, and you do this, and you lean on that, and you lean on that. Just stop. Submit to Christ. 1 Corinthians has one of the most Read chapters of any book in the Bible for weddings. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, thank you. All of you know it, the love chapter. The reason the love chapter's in there is because Paul has been so brutal for 12 chapters, he's like, I gotta tell them they still are loved by God. I mean, and Paul's writing and saying, I'm glad you responded. Just like this woman is responding properly. She understands that they've been sealed. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth to tell them, you've been sealed. What are you doing? If you've been sealed, what in the world are you doing giving yourself away and leaning on other things? Stop it. Ephesians, Paul writes this. When you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, the gospel is the good news of what Jesus did, that he asked us to marry him. You can't earn marriage. You can't get marriage by giving enough money away. No, he, he said, I love you. Now, will you love me back? That's marriage. When, when Jesus came and said, I love you on the cross, took the penalty for our sins and said, I'll give you my name instead of your terrible name and I'll take your debts and and pay for them, which is what marriage is. When Jesus did that, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed in him, look at this, you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He is the down payment of our inheritance for the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. It's not about you and I. It's about looking for the one that's coming, not for looking at us. And so often we want to draw attention to us, right? It's subtle. Look at God through me. I mean, really look at me, but then recognize that God's behind me because if I don't say that, he might strike me with a lightning bolt. So I want you, 
That we can subtly fall into that trap. And then he goes on, he says, and don't grieve God's Holy Spirit in chapter four. You were sealed by him for the wedding day. You've, you've been sealed. We are to be getting ready for the day when he calls us home. Maybe you don't like the wedding analogy. How about this? We looked, we looked at Ephesians 6 last week as a soldier. You are to be getting ready so that when the general says it's time to go fight, you're ready to fight. Both are authorities. A general has authority and a husband has an authority. Bible's clear on that. And this is it. He said, you've been sealed. Do you want the seal? Because I find a lot of Christians who don't want the seal. I don't want anybody to know I'm a Christian. I don't want them to think I'm judgmental. I don't want them to. You've been given a seal by a king to be his warrior, to be his daughter, to be his son, to be his brother. And you're not excited about that? It's like, well, I just don't want anybody to know that I'm, you know, that the king of the universe really likes me. I'm trying to hide that. I don't want to offend anybody. I mean, if you met a famous person, you would like say, could we get a pic together? And you would post it everywhere and be like, hi, and like duck face, and like put it all over the place. And that's not even someone you're married to or betrothed to. That's just some random guy you met on the street and they're famous. And you would be like, I want all my friends to see. I met a famous person. Hi. There's nothing wrong with that necessarily. It's just, why aren't we excited about who God himself is? I mean, because... You find this couple excited about that. It goes on and it says, set me as a seal on your heart, as a seal on your arm. Now look, it says, for love is as strong as death. Ardent love is as unrelenting as Sheol. Love's flames are fiery flames, the fiercest of all. Mighty waters cannot extinguish love Rivers cannot sweep it away. If a man were to give all of his wealth for love, it would be utterly scorned. You can't buy me. That's what the utter scorn is. Can I just tell you, this is true whether God is the object of your love or someone else or something else is. Whatever you're leaning on, whatever is the object of your love, it will become the thing that is as strong to you as death. If you love your kids, and oh, I love my kids, and I'm going to do anything for my kids, then everybody else is nothing compared to them, and you've got them as your God, not God as your God. Is it wrong to love your kids? No. God loves his kids. But you better be careful not elevating them to the strongest ardent love. He goes on, he says, it's unrelenting. The things you love will consume you unless you give them up. Unless you surrender them to God and his love is first, you're going to be in serious trouble. Because it's going to consume you and it will drive you even to Sheol. That's the darkest pit. And he says, love's flames are fiery. Have you read this book? It's a fiery book. There's a lot of going on when you read this book. I mean, you're like, whoa, I don't know if I should be reading this. This is inappropriate. I mean, 
And God's like, exactly. And his love is that fiery. And yet we see him in heaven being like, I love you. You're so sweet and kind and nice. You're my friend. That, that's not very fiery love. God's love is fiery. He is passionate for his people. And he's passionate that you represent him to other people. Because he doesn't want them to have a false sense of what love is. And he even says, you can try to extinguish it, you can try to buy it, and in the end, it's going to lead you exactly where you've set and sealed your heart to. And he says, you better be careful where you have set and sealed your heart. And if God's told you to set and seal your heart, you better not break the seal. Because anytime a king's seal was broken and it wasn't broken by somebody with the authority to break it, you know what happened to that person throughout all of human history? They were murdered. They were killed. Done. You were not allowed to break a king's seal unless you had the authority to break it. It's why they sealed the tomb of Jesus. They sealed it, put a Roman guard in front of it, and said, if this seal is broken, all of you guards are dead. We'll kill you all. You are to protect this with your life. And when the angels came, the guards thought, I'd rather take my chances with Caesar than with these angels. We're out of here. And they took off. And the seal was broken. The tomb was open. And later, the Jewish leaders, instead of killing the guards, which would have confirmed their story, which would have allowed them to be on a witness stand in Rome and testify to the angels that they saw and the dead body walking, instead of testifying, the Jewish leaders said, we can't have them talking about this in public and testifying in public. Shh, we'll pay you off. And they paid the soldiers off and told the Romans to leave them alone. And the story was hidden. Except our Bible talks about it. You see, God wants to expose all of it. When you read the Bible, have you ever noticed what God exposes? This week I was texting somebody about the life of Jacob. Have you read the life of Jacob in the Old Testament? The worst hero ever. Awful. He stole his brother's birthright. He's a mama's boy. I mean, he flees for his life. He wrestles with God. I mean, you read this life of Jacob and it's like, I do not want to be this guy ever. I don't want him. I don't want my life to reflect anything. He gets one woman and then he's like, I want the prettier one. The prettier one was the one I wanted originally and you gave me the older one, which was the right thing to do, but I want the prettier. And then he slept with their concubines. I mean, this guy's like, this is the guy that got named Israel. Jacob's name was changed to Israel, and God said, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to have your 12 sons be the future kingdom. Listen, God is jealous, and he went after Jacob. And Jacob, the one thing about Jacob is, he kept pursuing God. He kept pursuing. He kept saying, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, I'm nothing. He would do his thing and then go, I'm nothing. And he'd come back to God every time. And that's God's picture here. It's his picture of like, I have sealed Jacob. Jacob has made a sealed deal with me. He wrestled with me and I made him limp. I hurt his hip so he can't run away anymore. He doesn't have the power he used to have. Now he's got to drag around a leg all the time. Just as a reminder, you're not God. You got a bum leg. You can't do much anymore, can you, mister? I'm special, right? That's exactly what happened. 
And yet God said, if I can use that guy, I'm making the offer to anybody. If I can love this guy, if I can redeem this guy, if I can give this guy a new game, new name, if, don't you think I'll love you? Don't you think I'll give you a chance? Man, that's, that is important because it's like God sealed Jacob and we see the life of Jacob and here's why. When we look at the life of Jacob, we don't find anything in the life of Jacob that we're like, I want to be Jacob. Nope. We all look at it and go, I don't want to be Jacob, but I sure do like his God. In other words, I really don't like your family or your wife, but you are an amazing man that you can live with it. <laughs> I am amazed at your faith. How do you do it? You see, this is what their longing is. This is what, what it looks like. Look at what John says. John says this. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the seal, the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. You can lean on me. You can trust me. I'm going to come to you. And if you truly love me, then you'll do what I ask you to do. Even when it doesn't make sense, you'll just do it. Because it's what I'm supposed to do. Because I know who's coming, and I know what they're bringing, and so I don't need to try to get something. You see, real lovers obey. And when they sin and they don't obey, they obey by admitting they didn't obey. And they confess, and they ask God's help to not do it again. And they ask the body's help to not do it again. Yesterday, Went to a show choir competition. We only have two this year because they've closed everything down, but praise the Lord, we got to go. My son got to perform. They did, I thought they did well. So went to a show choir competition, drove two and a half hours to watch an hour worth of shows and drive two and a half hours home. So that, you know. So, so here we are, and I got to, it's always great because I get to be with the dad's crew. We have a dad's crew. I get to talk to them about their faith and spiritual stuff, and I'm always dropping these truth bombs and crazy stuff, and they don't know what to do with me. It's wonderful. So so I'm at the show choir competition, and, and I'm there, and, and it's, we got done setting up early, so it's about five o'clock, we don't perform till six. And I'm thinking to myself, I'm not gonna eat dinner till probably 10 o'clock when I get home tonight if I don't run right now and grab something to eat. I'm like, but I really, really don't need to eat. Like, I, can, I mean, look at me, I'm not like dying here. I could miss a few meals, like, and I'm like, but something, I just want something. And I didn't know what I wanted. You ever been there? Like, I don't know what I want, but I, I, but I want to eat something. So I get in my car and I start driving down the main drag of the city we're in. I've been there like four times my whole life. We're driving down this main drag and, and it's like, oh, I'll go a little bit further. And then I see a Burger King. I'm like, oh, I could turn into Burger King. I start to turn in. I'm like, no. And so I turn, literally, I'm in the turn lane. I wait for traffic to clear and I turn back in the right hand lane. I go down another, I'm looking around and I'm like, oh, if only there was a Wendy's. Like, I'm looking for a Wendy's, and I'm seeing McDonald's, and now I'm seeing Taco Bell and Long John Silver's. I'm like, no, I'd really like a Wendy's. Oh, and then all of a sudden, it was like the heavens opened up, and a beam of light came down, and I didn't find a Wendy's. I found a United Dairy Farmers. Oh, yeah. I'm thinking, ice cream for dinner. Score and coffee. 
I'm going to get coffee and ice cream for dinner. My two favorite things. I was so excited. Like, I was like, this is incredible. And so I pulled in. And I pull up, and I'm like, I walk in, and I'm like, oh. And they have my favorite ice cream. They have candy crunch, like, I, I, vanilla. I was like, this is, this is awesome. So I get coffee, and I get ice cream, and I am loving life. Driving back to the competition, I'm like, oh, I'm eating this ice cream. I'm drinking my coffee. I am enjoying the day. It's sunny outside. I get back. I walk in, and all the guys have been there. None of them went to eat, but I did. And I walked in. I'm like, oh, I just had the best dinner. And they're like, where'd you eat? I said, United Dairy Farmers. I had ice cream and coffee. And they're like, you are so weird. Like, what? I'm like, no, you don't understand. It was only five bucks. Had I bought something at Wendy's, it had been like eight. But it was only five. Like, I saved money. And so here I am, right? Loving the fact that as an adult, because listen, had I had my family with me, there's no way we're going to United Dairy Farmers for dinner. It's just not happening. Now, Susan would have went with me, and she was a little upset with me because I didn't bring her back a peanut butter shake, which is her favorite thing in the world from United Dairy Farmers. But I was so consumed with my own love, I forgot to love my wife. I was so consumed by God's provision for me that I didn't think about how he might want to use it to provide for someone else. I didn't find that out until about 10 o'clock last night when I told my wife, because we didn't, we'd never see each other when the competitions are going on. We're in two separate places. And I came home and I said, oh, I had the best dinner. I went to United Dairy Farmers. And immediately I saw the look on her face and I'm like, oh. She's like, you could have brought me a peanut butter shake and you didn't. I didn't have anything to eat all day because I gave my lunch away to a student who didn't have one. I'm like, I'm feeling this tall. I went from, I'm on high, God loves me, he opened up the heavens for United Dairy Farmers to the realization that I have an ice cream and coffee problem. Possibly. Now, if I start selling coffee, if I start selling my couches to buy coffee and ice cream, then you really know I have problems. Like, it's a serious addiction. But, like, that's our hearts, right? We will find the simplest things to celebrate, the simplest things that we'll seal and be excited about without pausing and thinking about what does God want? Look at what Matthew says. Jesus says, don't collect for yourselves treasures on earth. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There was no question what restaurant I was going to when I saw United Dairy Farmers. All the treasures of my heart came out. It was like, this place has everything I could want. Amen. And he says, he goes, the eye is the lamp of the body. I was eyeing, right? And it, the lamp. And then it says, your eye is good. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? That's a great question. How far down the rabbit hole have you gone? You're never without the ability to repent and ask God to pull you out of Sheol. And he says, no one can be a slave of two masters since he will hate one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot be slaves of both God and of money. And you can fill in the blank there of money with time, talent, with the stories you tell and the testimonies. You can fill in the blank with ice cream. Can't be a slave of two masters. You can either serve your wife or you can serve yourself. Which are you going to do? Serve myself. Broke my heart that I missed an opportunity to love my wife well. 
I was like, I'm so sorry. I'm such a jerk sometimes. I just, I just don't think. I just get excited about something, and then I'm like, and I just miss everything around. He goes on and says this in Song of Solomon. This is a weird passage, but it actually makes a lot of sense when we get to this part. It says, our sister is young. This is both of them talking now or, or responding. Our sister is young. She has no breasts. What will we do for our sister on the day she is spoken for? That's when she's arranged to be married or when she's given marriage or she agrees to marriage. If she is a wall, we will build a silver, silver parapet on top of the wall. If she is a door, we will enclose it with cedar planks. Yeah, exactly. I saw your faces the same way my face was the first time I read this. I'm like, what in the world are they talking about? It, it, it actually is really simple. When I explain it, you're going to be like, oh. A wall is designed to do what? Keep things out. When there's a wall, there's no way in. But you also don't want to wall people in in such a way that they can't see out, that they're trapped so what they're saying is, is our young sister, we know what it's like to be passionate. We know this fight that we're having within us to lean on one another when there's all these other people and things to lean on. And we want our sister to build a wall and we will lovingly give her a parapet so she can look out but be protected and keep herself pure. However, if our little sister becomes a door, a revolving door for men, a revolving door to let anything in her life that she wants and however she wants it, we're going to come and board up the door and say, you're not going out. We're going to enclose it with cedar planks. Be like, nah, -uh, you're not leaving. See, now their love is motivating them to tell others about their love and about God's love for them. It's motivating them to go out and look at the world and look at other people, unlike what I did this weekend in that one circumstance, and, and look and say, I'm looking out for others. Oh, our sister, she's going to go through this same process we went through. Man, we need to disciple her. We need to talk to her. We need to tell her, you need to build a wall. You need protection. You know, we need to put that up. Don't be a door. Don't just let anybody come in. I never understood why Christian parents let their kids decide whoever they're going to date. I have never understood that for the life of me. I don't understand it. You want to know why? Imagine your dream vehicle, your dream car. I don't know if it's a bug. I don't know if it's a Mercedes. I mean, the car that you're like, man, if I could get rid of this thing I'm driving, here's what I would love to have. Think about and think about a 16-year-old coming up on your door that you don't know, that you've never met, right? Hello, hi, how are you? Yeah, my name's John. Hi, John, how are you today? Fine. I'm here to pick up your car and take it for a spin. Oh, how old are you? I'm 16, I have my license. Okay, do you have insurance? I don't know, I think my parents paid for insurance, I'm not sure. Well, where are you going to go with my car? Not sure. I'm just going to kind of go and see what happens. Um, no. I'm not giving you my I have no idea. Slam the door. Right? Invite him in for a meal and say, we need to talk a little bit more about you knocking on people's doors and just asking them to borrow their stuff. Like, we've got to have a conversation. And yet, that's how we do dating in our culture. 
well, I just, my daughter says he's a good guy, then I'll just let my 16 or 15 year old daughter and all her worldly wisdom decide. Like, that's like the best friend coming home, and your son's coming home with this, this new buddy he's met, and he's like, Dad, me and my buddy, we really want to take your car out, right? This is going to be fun. Let us, let us have it. Any dad is like, no, <laughs> I know what you're going to do. The gas pedal's going to the floor, and you're going to see how fast it, no, it's not, no. It's not going to happen. Now, if you want to go out with me, then we'll go out together. I'll drive. I might even speed up fast off the line a couple of times to give you a good one, right? And they're going to be like, well, no, we, no. We really don't want to spend time with you, Dad. We just want your stuff. Sir, I don't want to spend time with you as a father to get to know you and your heart for your daughters. I just want your daughter. And people do the same thing with the church. I don't want to serve the church. I don't want to know who's here. I don't want to surrender my life. I just want what it can give me. And these two are realizing that that's the world their sister's growing up in, and they're going, oh my gosh, we have to protect her. We have to warn her. We have to talk to her about what God's desire is for her life and how jealous God is for her and that God will provide for her and she can trust him like we trusted him. Goes on and says, I am a wall. The woman says, breasts like towers. In other words, I'm not like the little sister. I'm, I'm fully woman. So in his eyes, I have become like one who finds peace. This woman responds and says, you know what? I have chosen to not be enticed. I've got a lot to offer the world. I've got, I've got towers to offer to men. I'm not offering them. I refuse to be enticed. I have become a wall for him. I will not let. I'll see what's going on. I'm not going to be... I'm going to look out and see what's happening, but I'm going to put a wall up to say you don't get in here unless God lets you in. The number one way, you ready for this, that people are deceived in our culture and throughout biblical history is this, peace, peace. When you read the Old Testament, you read Ezekiel, you read Malachi, or Micah, you read Jeremiah, you, you read all of these prophets and they keep telling you that the false prophets will prophesy peace, peace. Easy, easy. Comfort, comfort. Do what makes you feel good. That's what God wants for you. And it was Jesus who said this. Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. I'm a sheep, it's all good, it's all peace, peace. But inwardly they are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, so you'll recognize them by their fruit. He goes on to say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name? Didn't we do miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. There is a world out there that wants us to have power and be flashy and look at all I can do. 
versus just trusting simply in who God is. And Jesus says the false prophets are going to come in and they are going to ravage you. They don't want what's best for you. They don't want what's best for the sheep. They're trying to eat you. They're trying to use you up. They're not going to ask you to give your life for the other sheep. Oh, no, 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 no. They're going to come and whisper in your ear and say, oh, come with me over here. We don't have to suffer like those sheep. We can get away and escape. And we keep falling for the false prophets that promise peace. When Jesus said, I don't come to bring peace, he said, don't assume that I come to bring peace. I came to bring a sword. And we always want to assume that Jesus came to bring peace. He did, but peace comes through us dying to ourselves, laying down our life, leaning on him. Goes on and says this, Solomon owned a vineyard in Baal Hammon. He leased the vineyards to tenants. Each one was to bring for his fruit 1,000 pieces of silver. I have my own vineyard, the woman says. The 1,000 are for you, Solomon, but 200 for those who guard its fruit. This woman is looking and she's saying, everyone was to bring their fruit, their 1,000 pieces of silver so they could keep their fruit. And she's saying, Solomon, I'm giving all to you. My entire vineyard is yours. Everything I am, everything I have, every nook and cranny, it's yours. I'm not hiding out. I'm not keeping anything back. And I've even had people help me (laughs) get ready to do that. Paid people to help me get ready. In Galatians, it says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, we're sealed with the Spirit, we must also follow the Spirit. We must not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. There's false jealousy instead of true spiritual jealousy. Can I just tell you, this whole list, this list is not feelings. This list is choices. Let me say that again. This list is not necessarily like feelings. That's how we look at the list. It's choices. It's the fruit of the Spirit is me choosing to love, me choosing joy, me choosing to have peace when there is no peace, me choosing to have patience instead of like Paul leaving from Corinthian to get you, me choosing all these things. I have to choose them, and in the end, I got to choose self-control because I don't want to choose these things. I want to choose my emotions. And so the last fruit of the Spirit is like, i got to be really self-controlled, otherwise I'm going to try to choose these things for myself instead of trusting God with them. And he says, if you choose what God says is loving, if you choose what God says is true joy, if you choose God's peace instead of a false peace, if you choose those things, you can do as much of it as you want. There is no law. That's like being in a marriage and being like, I have given you away, you're his, I'm out. You guys do what you do. Do what Song of Solomon, I know where my daughter was going on her wedding day. I've read the book, I know what happens, I've been there. And I wasn't like, oh, 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 I can't, oh. No, I'm like, no, that's exactly the way it's supposed to be. They're choosing to give themselves to one another, and I celebrate it. Praise the Lord that you're doing it in Christ, that, that that's what he wants that you walked through the process and involved me in it, and I got to pray for you, and wow, that's so exciting. 
It's exactly what Paul's saying is the fruit of the Spirit. And yet we hear people say, well, I can't control myself because I just, I'm so in love. No, love is, like, love has (laughs) self-control. Goes on, he says, in Matthew, Jesus tells a parable as we wrap up. Got this parable in one passage. It says this. Matthew's talking about the parable of the vineyard owners. And this is what he says. Jesus is coming down to the end of his life. He's getting ready. He just came into Jerusalem for the triumphal entry. Everybody thinks it's the wedding. Everybody thinks it's going to happen. He's going to bring back the angels. Everything's going to be established. Finally, we've been waiting thousands of years. And Jesus dies on a cross and goes up to heaven and says, I'll be back. Jesus tells them this parable. There was a man, a landowner, who planted a vineyard. Remember, she's giving her vineyard to him. Put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Built a wall. Built a watchtower to be able to look out, which is what we just read. He leased it to tenant farmers, and he went away. When the grape harvest drew near, he sent his slaves to the farmers to collect its fruit. But the farmers took his slaves beat one of them, killed another, and stoned a third. Again, he sent another, other slaves, more than the first group, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said among themselves, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those farmers? The Pharisees answered Jesus and said, He will completely destroy those terrible men. Then he told them, they told him, and lease his vineyard to other farmers who will give him his produce of the harvest. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected became the cornerstone? This came from the Lord and is wonderful in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a nation producing its fruit. Whoever falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but but on whoever it falls, it will grind him to powder. When the chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables, they knew he was speaking about them. It clicked. The parable of the lost son is right before this too. And all of a sudden they realize, wait a minute. He's saying that we don't love God. He's saying that we don't. He's saying that we aren't leaning on God. That that we're not building on the right foundation on the cornerstone. That we've leaned the wrong cornerstone. Are you kidding me? How dare he? And as we wrap up the book, Remember, how does the Bible start out? Where are Adam and Eve? They're in a garden, right? That's where it starts out. It's in a garden full of abundance. In the end of this book, we go to the same place. It says, you who dwell in the gardens, in the vineyards, in the places producing fruit, companions are listening for your voice. Let me hear you. (laughs) I love this. The woman is like, I just want to hear your voice. I want to hear your word. That's what being in the garden is about. It's not about all the fruit. You want to know why Adam and Eve ate the fruit that they weren't supposed to eat? Because they forgot that they were in the garden not to eat fruit. 
They were in the garden to have a relationship. You know what I forgot yesterday? I'm not in this place to eat ice cream and coffee. I'm here to serve my wife. Should have remembered that. It's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to get our eyes off the prize. And this woman's like, no, I'm crying out to everybody. Listen to him. Don't listen to me anymore. I did a lot of talking in this book. Listen for his words. He's the one you want. Let me hear you. I mean, it's like, some of you are too young for this, but it's like Hulk Hogan. Do you guys remember Hulk Hogan? And he would do this, right? And then he'd tear his shirt and be like, ah, like this is what he would do. Some of you are looking at me like, who is Hulk Hogan? Anyway, it's wrestling, professional wrestling. And so Hogan would do this because he'd want to hear the cheers, right? She's like, I want you to hear from him. I want you to lean on him, not on my words, not on my struggles, but on who he is and the confidence we can have. And look at, and that's what he says. He's like, look at this, look. And then she responds, hurry to me, my love, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountain of spices. She is like, I so want to hear from you. He's crying out and saying, anyone that'll listen, listen, hear. Lean on me. And she's like, I am ready to lean on you. Hurry to me, my love, and be like the This book ends with longing. It ends with her and him not together. It ends with her being like, hurry, because you're far away. You're not here yet. I don't have really what I want. That's how it ends. It's this beautiful love story that ends with longing. That's the whole Bible. (laughs) Until the book of Revelation happens and Jesus comes back, we long, let me ask you, what are you leaning on? What are you longing for? Who are you leaning on? Who are you longing for? Do you lean on the bride of Christ? Do you lean on Christ himself? That's what God wants. And we keep chasing everything, hoping that something else will fill us up. And you know what? Ice cream and coffee won't do it. It's not fulfilling enough. It might feel good in the moment. It's not wrong to have it. But you've got to ask yourself the question, why were you so excited about ice cream and coffee? At the neglect of what truly matters in the lives of people. we can be that way. Can I just tell you, Jesus is telling you right now to lean on him. We've looked through all these passages of scripture. We've gone through this entire book through Song of Solomon. Let me just pause for a moment. What are you leaning on? Are you leaning on your health? Are you leaning on your intelligence? Are you leaning on your relationships? Are you leaning on your money? Are you leaning on your fun? Are you leaning on your peace? What are you leaning on? And just pause for a moment and say, it's not that all those things are bad, but just pause for a moment and say, I don't want to lean on anything except him. And take some time. This is the Lent season for a lot of people where they're, you know, not doing certain things. We don't really do that as a church because I just think you should always kind of practice Lent. (laughs) Like if God tells you not to do something, don't do it. (laughs) that's, That's welcome to Lent all the time, right? And so... Take some time as we move towards Passover and God passing over his people and think about the fact that God has offered to lean on a cross on your behalf, to die in your place, 
to fight for you. And he asks us then to go out like this and represent him and make him known to the world around us and to make it clear how God has established sex and relationships and all the things he addresses. He addresses almost everything in Scripture because he wants other people to see that they need to stop leaning on the other things and lean on him. Let's pray. Father, thank you. This morning for this kind of final word to sum up your love for us. I thank you that you you came from heaven to earth. You put yourself in bodily form to walk among us and to prove your love for us. You didn't have to do that. You'd loved us enough. You'd created. You'd, you'd done everything you had to do and yet you went the extra mile and you paid the ultimate price to be the ultimate sacrifice that we could never pay for ourselves. We owe you a debt that we could never pay and that's grace that you give your unmerited favor and you call us to you. You call us back to a garden where we can walk with you. Father, I pray that if anyone here is struggling to lean on you this morning, if they're leaning on other things, I pray that they would, they would just come before you. They would admit that and they would come to you and say, I just want to hear from you. They would get into your word. They would, they would lean on you. They would lean into the body of Christ and other believers and And they begin to build that wall of protection to keep them from being used like a revolving door. Father, that's your heart for us. And your heart for us is then to go out into the world like this book ends and to to declare this love that you have for us to the entire world and to declare that there's a different way to do relationships according to truth and grace. Lord, if anyone here is not surrendered to you, I pray today would be the day they would, they would say yes to you. They would say, I do. I'm in. And Father, I pray that for those of us who have made that commitment, I pray that we would be serious about it. Not to try to prove something to you, but because of all you've proven to us and how grateful we are to you. We thank you in your name. Amen. Amen.